Let's get into today a little bit. How's that? Wow. I love you. So proud of you. Thank you. Good job. You look great today. Dave, you look great today. This place wouldn't be the same without you. I hate you. I wish you'd never been born. Stupid. You make me sick. Nobody cares about you. I'll never forgive you. Words. Those are just words. Most of us, all of us, I think universally, we grew up, everybody heard the nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I am certain that whoever uh, wrote that was well-intentioned. <laughs> However, uh, they missed the mark. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can leave permanent damage. You know, if I, uh, I've never broken a bone. My, my kids have. <laughs> They've all broken bones. If you break a bone, break the bone in your arm, you go to the doctor and he'll set that bone and put a cast on it. And you know what? In a few weeks... You'll be as good as new. Conversely, there are people who have spent a lifetime trying to recover from words that were spoken to them or about them or over them at some point in their life. Words have the ability to really shape and define our lives. Um, words have the ability to impact our identity. People have been had some of those words uh, that we read in that second list, they're spoken over them, and that became who they were. I had a friend growing up whose father used to call him stupid when he was a kid. And, and, and literally, he walked in that identity. He was, he was a mechanical genius. He could fix anything. And yet, he walked in that identity, and I watched him on numerous occasions... Somebody else having a conversation, not even talking to him, but where he could hear, would say the word stupid, and his body would, would literally, physically clench up when he would hear that word. And, and it became part of who he was over the course of his life. Words have the ability to heal and encourage and lift us up and build us up. Uh, they also have the ability to damage and to wound us and to tear us down. Um, now, I think we all can identify with that on some level or another from our personal experience. I want to point out to you this morning a little bit that this is also a biblical truth. Um, most of us know the story of Job. Job uh, was a righteous man who suffered uh, some pretty significant um, pain in his life, loss in his life, uh, devastation in his life. And he had three so-called friends who would come to him and try to fix the problem, try to tell him what he'd done wrong, sort it all out. And at one point in the book of Job, uh, his profound verse, his response, he, I could just see him holding his head, and he says, how long will you torment me and crush me with words? Solomon, we're told, is the wisest man that ever lived. In Proverbs, Solomon says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Um, New Testament authors uh, I, I believe, I'm not sure, most of the, all of the primary authors of the New Testament address the issue of our speech and the things that we say at some point or another. In Ephesians, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up, 
And then to the Colossian church, he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices. Peter, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Uh, We'll get to James in a minute, but uh, I want to point out that the the reality is that that biblically words have power uh, and they can can be a a healing power or a hurting power. Uh, Proverbs, Solomon also says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Beautiful, beautiful poetic phrase there. A word fitly spoken, apples of gold. That's a, the image of that as a, a gift of jewelry or something precious. A word can be something precious when it's spoken in time. I know when uh, our kids will little, they'll appreciate this. Uh, Donna had a little sign she put up on the wall in our house, and they all memorized Psalm 1914. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Great prayer. You might want to jot that down. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, Jesus, I I believe, really uh, definitively qualifies and sums up uh, the power of our speech in Luke 6 when he says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The truth is that the things that we say are, are a reflection of our heart. And I think if we are filled with the Spirit of God and we're loving people and seeking after God's goodness in our own lives and the lives of others, our words will be life-giving and, and, and encouraging and building up. And if, if not, they will be something other than that. So the, the topic this morning, uh, I introduced the topic before the text. We are, if you haven't been here, in the book of James. We're studying uh, verse by verse through the book of James. Uh, my, my young prodigy and I have been uh, alternating, so if you've missed them, uh, hang on. They'll be here again in a couple weeks sharing with you. But this morning, I'm going to tackle the first section of chapter 3. And uh, th- this uh, 12 verses here are an appeal from James to tame the tongue. That's, that's the language he uses, tame the tongue. Uh, and really what he's saying is, hey, I want you to consider, to think about what you say, and then to temper what you say. So what I'd like to do is, uh, I'm going to read the, read the passage uh, in its fullness together, then I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit, okay? So this is James 3, beginning in verse 1. I've got to get it where I can see it. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures 
are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning, uh, that we might receive what you have in the spirit that you intended it. Uh, That the words I speak this morning would be encouraging and build up this body. Uh, In your name we pray, amen. So James is, uh, he's making the case that while the tongue is small in size in terms of, uh, you know, as a part of the body, that it is big an impact. And he gives us multiple examples there. Uh, the bit in the mouth of a horse. And I'm not a horse person, some of you are, but you understand how that works. It's a little thing in the horse's mouth and you can steer the horse with it. Uh, to me, the, the rudder on a ship is a clear example. I get that. Uh, you know, a a ship, no matter how big it is, has a rudder. It's a very small thing in the back, and it really does steer the ship. Uh, His third example is probably, uh, at this this exact moment, the most profound, Uh, a spark that can start a whole forest on fire. And unless you live under a rock, uh, you're you're aware that, you know, a large portion of the West Coast is on fire right now. Uh, Yesterday, as we drove around, I mean, the, the whole sky was full of smoke from fires. And it's, it's just a, an upfront, up close and personal example that uh, many of those fires were started by, you know, just a careless spark, a little spark, and now there's, there's acres and acres and acres and acres uh, on fire. It's, it's, a, it's a small thing that becomes something big. James summarizes, really, his position in verse 6 when he says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Uh, that is a strong statement, boys and girls. Um, I th- I, it's worth a, a couple comments. I'm going to a little exegesis on James' statement there because uh, it, it's a powerful statement. First thing is when he says that the tongue is evil, what he's identifying, what James means by that is uh, when he says something is evil... Uh, it's demonic in nature, all right? He's saying here that the enemy can, in fact, play into our lives in such a way as to direct our thought processes and what comes out of our mouth. Um, it is very much, James has here very much, a kingdom of God, spiritual warfare perspective on life. The reality is this, and we get this, I think, in the big picture, Uh, In our lives, we have the opportunity and, I would say, in this case, the responsibility to partner with the Holy Spirit, to fill ourselves with the presence of God and connect and commit and cooperate and partner with Him in what He wants, or or the opposite of that is we really can be, uh, we can lend ourselves, we can allow ourselves to be influenced negatively by malevolent forces and be guided and directed um, by the enemy uh, into the reality of tearing down uh, the lives of others. Uh, There's a spiritual dynamic, a spiritual reality 
to what we say. The, the second thing here he says is the tongue is set on fire by hell. Here's the truth. I mean, all of us understand the concept of hell, I think, but we probably don't really have a, a, a visual image, a word picture for hell the way that his readers would have. Those, the original readers of James' text, his letter, when he wrote it and sent it out, when he says this, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. The Greek word there for hell is actually Gehenna. Gehenna is an actual physical location outside of Jerusalem. It was a valley, and in Old Testament times, it was a place where uh, different cults would hold human sacrifice, oftentimes sacrificing children to the god of Molech. And so later, as time progressed, um, you, you know, people in, in charge or who owned the area or controlled the area changed, and that valley actually became the city dump. So where these sacrifices were once held now became the city dump, and they would dump all the trash in there and... Likewise, uh, if, if everything was just dumped, everything was thrown in the valley. If your ox died or your donkey died, they would throw that into the valley too. Criminals, if they were uh, convicted and executed, were not given a proper burial the way uh, another person in society would be. What did they do with the bodies of the criminals that were executed? They just threw them in the dump. So in the dump is this horrid place of refuse. And it would be kept burning all the time because, you know, trash piles up. You have to burn it so you don't overflow. But something you may or may not know is that in a place like that, you don't really have to keep that fire going because it will, as that trash compresses down underneath it all, uh, it decomposes. And I don't know if you ever stuck your hand in a compost pile, but as it decomposes, it gets hot and spontaneously it will combust and burn. So the fires burn all the time. So that's the image they would have had in their mind. Now, I've seen this. Okay, that is a, not a great picture, but in Nicaragua, there's a, a dump called La Chureca. And at La Chureca, it's a very similar situation. It's a horrid place. First of all, uh, it's changed now. Recently, it's closed. But for years, there were thousands of people that lived in the dump, so there's these scavengers and people running around. There's herds of very sickly-looking cattle. It's like a city uh, in and of itself, and it's always on fire. It's always burning. It's always, there's always smoke and flames, so much so that uh, Nicaragua, it, for the, another little fact of interest here, Nicaragua is where streets have no names. So when you 2 sang that song, uh, they were talking about Nicaragua. The streets have no names there. There are no names. Uh, it's the most bizarre system in the world. But the way you get around is uh, by landmarks. The only way you can know where you are is by landmarks. And until recently, the most visible landmark in all of Managua was the dump because it's always on fire. So no matter where you are in town, uh, I don't know which way to go here. Oh, there's the dump, so we need to go this way. We know which way to go because the smoke and fire is always coming up. It's a horrid place. And when, when James says the tongue is set on fire by hell, that's the image his readers would have conjured up is that place of just stench and just refuse and decomposition and evil. And what he's saying here again really is this, that there is a spiritual component 
to what we say. The reason that words can cause permanent damage, the reason they have the ability to hurt the way they hurt is because they go into our very spirit. As, as people, as those created in the image of God, we are integrated beings. It's not just a body. You know, Plato was wrong. It's not our mind, our body. Matter isn't evil. We're all connected. It's all together. And so those words, we hear them with our ears, but they, they sink into our hearts and into our spirits, and they become a part of us. That's why what we say is so profound and so powerful, because it has a spiritual dimension to it. So James' exhortation here, what he's saying is, Consider that. I want you to know this. I want you to understand how powerful this is and think about, be conscious of what you say. Huh. Am I talking really loud? <laughs> uh, while that applies to everyone, uh, verse 1, he, he begins by identifying teachers. Uh, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. First of all, I love that James includes himself in there. Um, he is, he's aware of the potential uh, for harm or good from his own words. Um, and look, the principle is clear, right? It, it makes sense. If, if, if what someone says has the ability to impact somebody, then if what a teacher says, it has the ability to impact many somebodies. You can be good or bad. Uh, and and James, James says uh, that's a greater responsibility Yes, it is. He also says uh, that, it, that that person can incur a stricter judgment. Um, that's, that's profound. Here, here's what I want to say is this. D- don't be afraid of that. I- I'll tell you, one of the joys of my life is teaching the Bible. There are really very few things I enjoy more than, than teaching the Bible. I do so with full recognition of that. I do so with full recognition of the responsibility involved in what I say. I take it very, very seriously. I believe with all my heart uh, that what I teach is biblically sound and accurate for the edification of the church. I really do. And I would say this to you. If you're called to teach, don't shy away from it over fear of saying something wrong. Press in. Press in and pursue it with your whole life. I don't, I mean, I don't know that if, if you don't teach, if you teach, if anyone teaches, you understand the responsibility, the weight of that. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's profound, to, to, the effort and the energy to put into preparing to teach. And, and I will spend sometimes hours and hours wrestling over one verse or one word, making sure I want to get this right. I want to know that I know that I know that what I'm saying is what God intends me to say here. Uh, But I would say that's a joy. Press into that if God's called you to do that. Now, teachers aside, that doesn't exempt the rest of us. James says in uh, verse number two, we all stumble in many ways. And he opens the door for everybody. Um, Look, none of us are perfect. That's reality. We all have our own unique temptations, our own unique weaknesses and frailties. Uh, We all have our own unique a propensity towards sin. But I believe that James here rightly identifies speech as being almost universal. You know what I'm saying? There are some sins that, you know, some people do and some people don't do. And there are other sins that other people do and other people don't really do. You know, some people struggle with, with, with a certain area, with addiction or something. You go, well, that's just not my deal. I don't worry about that. Other people might struggle with pornography. And you say, well, I don't, I'm not worried about that. Uh, but the, the truth is this, that, that almost universally at some point or another, 
all of us will stumble in the things that we say, right? Let's just be honest. Anybody? Uh, it's, it's almost universal. James is identifying this because of that. It, it's, a, it's a profound thing, <clears throat> and it really is hard to control what we say. Now, let me tell you, I want to I provide context here, and I think this is super, super important. James is concerned with the quality of community, okay? He's concerned with the quality of community. Again and again and again, I forgot now, but it's 15 or 16 or 17 times in this short letter. He says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. He wants to see fellowship and community be all that it can be and have to it a quality that is different than that of the world. A quality of community that's different than what is found outside the church. And he realizes our speech is a big part of that. The reason that James is attacking this issue so strongly is because he realizes the potential for it to destroy community. Sometimes in the life of the church, we can be fairly quick to point out, to identify the sin of others. Um, And look, we're all aware in the life of the church, there are some sins that seem to uh, draw a little more attention than others, right? We we get that. We know that. Um, I always find it interesting. This is just my observation. That while our speech is something that's universal and has an impact on almost everyone at some point, very rarely is it ever really identified as one of those things. I mean, I know churches that may, if somebody has sex outside of marriage, I mean, they're going to put a red letter on their head and cast them out into outer darkness, but they'll gossip all day long. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say, I believe that gossip has destroyed more churches and more relationships and more community and more fellowship than a whole lot of those other sins that we might be quicker to point out. I'm just saying. This, boys and girls, should not be. That shouldn't be. I'm going to add here, uh, the whole verse, I just put that phrase, but... Verses 9 and 10 talk about with the same tongue, we praise our God and Father, and we tear down our brother and sister. And let me say this, as a church that places significant emphasis on worship, we say in the vineyard, worship is our highest priority. We put a lot of energy into our worship. We say it's our very purpose. The reason we're here, the reason we're on earth today is to worship God. One of the things that will destroy worship and hinder our worship to the Lord as quickly as anything, is talking ill of others. It's just true. It's incongruent. It does not work. It can't, we cannot, we cannot go around speaking ill of one another and uh, saying, Spirit of the living God, singing, Spirit of the living God, come fall afresh on me. It doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense. James, James nails it. Uh, we are created in the image of God. If you're created in the image of God, I can't say what a low-life, no-good-for-nothing scumbag you are and praise you, Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't 
make any sense. It's no different than James saying, salt water and fresh water come out of the same place, an apple tree giving pears or a plum tree giving something else. Uh, forget GMO. The truth is it just doesn't work. Okay, it can't happen. I'm glad I can entertain you guys. Hey, um, here's what I want to do. Oh, good. I, I want to... Um, I want, to, I want to conclude this with a little bit of application, okay? We talk about this stuff, amen. But I, I just think, I want to give, here's what I want to do. I want to give you five things. Uh, I, I always make fun of people that do the little list, five this, four that, but now I'm going to do them. Um, that's good. Five uh, self-reflective exercises, okay? Five self-reflective exercises help you control your speech, okay? And then, and then I want to end... Um, was something that I think is very, very important, and it's something that's been on my heart this week, and I really just, God's just really uh, showing me this, and, and that is this. After we talk about this, I want to just close a couple minutes with how we respond when things are said to us that are inappropriate, okay? But first, first, five self-reflective exercises to help us monitor our speech. First of all, rethink your freedom of speech. Now, let me say this. Uh, I think, I think in different cultures and in different parts of the world and in different places in history, different things have more or less weight than others. And I really think this issue of speech is such a big deal in our country because why we insist on freedom of speech. You cannot tell me what I can and cannot say. And it's in the news all the time. I'm picketing, I'm protesting, I'm saying this, I'm calling people names, I'm holding up signs because it's my freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. It's my right. I have a right. I have a constitutional right to say whatever I want. And very often, very often, that phrase, constitutional right, is followed up with, it's my God-given right. Is it? Is it? Uh, do, I have, do I have the right to speak out at the expense of others? Do I have the right to say things that are hurtful to other people that damage and defame their character and their very person? The Constitution of the United States of America says I do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I beg to differ. I would say I do not. I would say this, if you're ever going to be civil, exercise civil disobedience, exercise it by foregoing your freedom of speech and not saying what you have the right to say. There. Neener. Jesus is on trial. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. He's on trial for his life. He's fighting for his life. They didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Picture this as a trial. A re- actual, picture it. He's innocent. They don't have any evidence, but people are coming time and time and time again and saying he did do something that he didn't do. Finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. 
Jesus laid down his right of freedom of speech on behalf of you and I. Hello? Um, I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it would take too long, but I would encourage you later, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul talks all about his rights as an apostle. The whole chapter is his rights as an apostle. And he says over and over, I could have done this, 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 but I have not used any of these rights. Paul also laid down his rights on behalf of the greater good. So, number one on my list today is simply to rethink your freedom of speech. Number two is lead with your ears and follow with your tongue. This goes back to chapter one when James says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, Can I just say this? You don't have to respond to everything. Can I just say that? Uh, Sometimes it's okay to just not respond. All right? I'll I'll give you an example. Um, You know, I, I love small groups. I love small groups because the truth is this. They are an integral part of our growth in Christ. Uh, They play a significantly different role than what happens here on Sundays. The truth is this. I love Sundays. I love our corporate gathering. I love our worship time. But at the end of the day, the truth is, I talk, you listen. It's really the way it works. Other than the occasional heckling that takes place, you really don't have much opportunity to respond. Small groups are a completely different dynamic. The whole idea there is that everybody really does get to play. Everybody has an opportunity to interact. Everybody gets to share. Everybody can voice their thoughts, their feelings, their pains. They can ask for prayer. They can pray for one another. It's beautiful, but every now and then, I'm in a group where there's that person that has to respond to everything. Mary shares something, and then Bill responds. And then Joe shares something, and then Bill responds. And then somebody else asks for prayer, and then Bill responds. It's like, Dude, shut up. You just, I'm sorry. Uh, We don't have to, and and that's an example, but the truth is this, and it happens. It happens in conversation. It happens everywhere. We sometimes, we just don't have to respond to everything. I I said it when we went through chapter one, but I really believe listening is is an expression of love. Listening is a profound expression of love. I think all of us, every single one of us across the board, myself at the top of the list, need to learn to listen. Number three on my list today is bite your tongue more often. It kind of goes with number two. But the reality is uh, sometimes things just need to be not said. You know, I, uh, radio, I love radio. I love talk radio. I don't know if you guys listen to talk radio, but whether it's politics, sports, whatever, the way radio works, and I'm sure maybe you probably know this, but the host, the radio host, has something called the dump button. You know that, what a dump button is? He, the, the dump button is there's a two to three second delay between what he hears in his headphones and what goes out, what's broadcast out. And the reason is that if the caller, whoever calls in, says something bad, the host can hit the dump button, go to commercial, and it doesn't get broadcast. So the only person that heard it is him, not everyone. So my suggestion... 
Some of you are ahead of me. Is we could each, it would behoove us to install our own self-imposed dump button. Sometimes that little thought in your mind, and you just, you just go, you know, I don't really need to say that right now. And I have gotten better at this over the years, I will, I will say. I, I used to say things and then go, oh, those and I've learned to temper that a little bit. But sometimes, you know, just don't say it. It just doesn't need to be said. Number four on my list this morning um, reverts back to uh, the verses that talk and what I mentioned earlier about uh, a spiritual component to what we say. I think it's critical. I think number four is critical to the life of the church and the growth of fellowship. And it's simply this, refuse to tear each other down. Say no. Just say no. Absolutely refuse to tear each other down. Uh, Chapter 4, it's interesting to me, in every chapter, five chapters in the book of James, he mentions our speech in every single chapter. Chapter 4, he tells us not to slander one another. Uh, You know, Cindy read uh, the text of Ephesians this morning from the message, and I wanted to share 4.11 from the message because I love love it. Don't badmouth each other, friends. Just don't badmouth each other, friends. Um, if, here's the thing if we want the quality of fellowship that God desires for us if, if we want a quality of community that is distinct from the world if we want to truly worship God in spirit and in truth we have got to refuse to speak ill of one another we have got to refuse to gossip about each other and to damage each other's reputation and character we have got to refuse to do it James says it's evil. We play into the hand of the enemy. Every time, every time we speak ill of one another, we play right into the hand of the enemy. Um, and that verse also leads us to my, the fifth point on my, uh, my uh, little list here. He says, uh, no human being can tame the tongue. That's, that doesn't give me a lot of hope. No human being can tame the tongue. There's a lot of things we can't do on our own. Isn't that true? But how can we do them? In Jesus. So surrender your tongue. Uh, it's clear to me, verse 8, and I think it's clear from life. We can't, I, we can't do it on our own. There's no way. It is physically impossible. Uh, the only way we can tame our tongue, the only way we really can grow in our ability to speak words that build up and encourage and give life rather than death is to submit our tongues to the Lord. Look, the whole process of confession, uh, be honest with God. God, look, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need your help. I have a problem. I say bad things. I need you to help me not say those bad things. I really think we could all learn a lesson from my children and just memorize Psalm 1914. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Why don't you all go home and just put that on your refrigerator today and pray that this week. Okay, last thing. And again, this is something that just came to my mind, came to light. I actually became aware of a couple situations and started thinking about it. It was not originally in my outline to teach today, but the flip side of this, look at, here's the thing. This text and my message today are about what we say, right? And that's important. 
But I want to take just a minute and I want to respond to what do we do? How do we as Christians respond when someone does say something that uh, is negative or hurtful or impacting in, on, to us in a, in a, in a wrong way? Um, and so it falls under the general category, and you've heard this phrase before, of don't be easily offended. Don't be easily offended. And I have three verses that I want to share with you that relate to that. The first, to me, is profound. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. You all know the love chapter, right? And Paul says in there, it, love, is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Don't be easily offended. Don't be easily offended. Second verse, Solomon, in his wisdom, again, a person's wisdom yields patience. I love this. Listen to this. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And then, and then this one, okay. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is an extended poem, song, in praise of God's Word. How, how precious and how meaningful and how beautiful God's Word is. And in the middle of it, God says, or the, the psalmist says, Great peace have they which love thy law. Great peace you will have in your heart if you love the law, and nothing will offend them. When the peace of God resides in our hearts, we're not so easily offended. So, my first thing, when someone says something that's hurtful to me, I think I need to go to the Lord first. And I need to ask God, is, is this something that I really need to be offended about? I'll tell you, that is the end of the discussion most of the time right there. I find myself getting worked up over something someone said, and I can, I can, that can just bubble, 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 toil and trouble. And if I will stop and just say, God, is this something I really need to be offended about? Usually it's over. You know, God's like, boing. Uh, no, not really. The, the, the truth is this, and I'm going to be really honest here. Most of the time, most of the time, people say things, they're innocent, they're, they're, in, they're in jest, they're flippant, they didn't think about it, they didn't mean what we th- interpreted as such. And you know what? I'm just, it just doesn't really matter. I always used to say, in the scope of eternity, who cares? Uh, it's just not that important. Do, do business with God. Lord, is this something I need to be offended about? No. Okay, then just, I forgive them, done, and number two, then let it go. Just let it go. You want, here's pastoral counsel of the day. Pastoral counsel of the day. One of the most important things I think we can learn to do to live a healthy, happy life is to learn to let it go. One of the most important things I believe we can do to live a healthy, happy life is to learn to let it go. Just let it go. It just doesn't matter. Now, those two things said, those two things said, sometimes, sometimes, something is said that is real. It's hurtful, and we just either cannot unhook or or probably really shouldn't. It really should be addressed. There are those times. There are times when it, 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 something needs to be done about something that was said. It was inappropriate to say that. (coughs) And so, After you've gone to the Lord, after you've talked to God about it, then the next thing you should do 
is talk directly to the person that said it. Okay? Um, Not to someone else. Not to your friends. Not to other people. And for God's sake, please, 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 not to Facebook. Okay? Let me just say, if, if you use social media to air your grievances with other people, that is illegal, inappropriate, out of bounds. It is so, so damaging, so wrong, bad, bad, bad. Go to God, and then you go to the person, period. You just go to the person. You hurt me. You said something. Can you tell me what you meant? Let's talk about this. And then last thing, and this is, did I say last thing already? <clears throat> One more little thing. And this is for me. This is for my self-preservation here, okay? This last little bit, self-preservation. The other thing you don't need to do is go to the church, okay? I love it. No, I don't. When someone comes and says, <clears throat> hey, you know, I'm really concerned about so-and-so. Really? Why? Well, you know, they're, I've heard some stuff, and I've, I'm really, really worried about Really? You are? Yeah, and I just, I, you know, I know, I thought, well, I thought the church should know. Okay, have you talked to them about it? No, 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 I didn't. That's why I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, so what, do you, what are you suggesting, that I go tell them that you talked to me about this? No, 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 I don't want them to know that I told you. Oh, you don't want them to know that I told you, but you want to tell me. How does this work? The biblically appropriate response when someone sins against us or offends you, is to first go to the church. There's multiple steps. I mean, first go to the person, you know, before you come to the church. And do and you know why? Do you know why that is written the way? Matthew 18, read that. Do you know why? This is why. Because you are the church. We are the church. If, if you're worried about someone... You know that there's a problem in their life. You are the church. You bear the responsibility to lift that brother or sister up and help them through. It's, it's on you to do that. I'm not the church. You're the church. I'm part of the church. Thank you. But so are you. We're equally connected. We're all together in this. So we want to maintain and, and, and strive for a level of fellowship and community that's honest and sincere and really does put us in a place where our hearts and our worship are presented before God in a way that really releases His kingdom in us. It's, it's not going to work for us to pray God more, more, more when we don't cooperate with what He wants us to do right now. Okay, let's stand. <laughs>